Hello and welcome to Time in the Market, an Invesco podcast series for UK professional investors. I'm Ben Gutteridge, your host, a failed TV celebrity desperate for a bit of attention, but also an investment director from within Invesco's multi-asset strategies division. In this series, we'll be interviewing some of the highest profile names from in and around the financial industry and from both within and without Invesco. But before the action begins, we want to stress this interview should not be considered as investment advice and remind you that any capital invested is always capital at risk. Finally, we would encourage you to listen to some further important information immediately following the interview. Thank you and on with the show. Hello, everyone, and a warm welcome to our latest Time in the Market podcast, where this month we interview an Invesco and industry favourite, Georgina Taylor, Invesco's Head of Multi-Asset Investing. Georgina, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, pleasure to have you. And I know you're just recovering from a from a half marathon uh, in Scandinavia. So amazing that we've got this this time with you. So we're really pleased to get the opportunity to talk to you. And of course, we're really keen to hear your market insights. But but before we get to that particular discussion, there is the, the small but crucial matter of a round of prefer or defer. I don't know much you know about this, but uh, this is where we ask our guests 10 quick fire closed questions so our listeners can know a little bit more about them as an investor, but also as a person. Are you happy to play along, Georgina? I'm very happy. Let's go for it. Okay, well, I'm delighted by that. And, you know, most of the questions are absolutely fine. I mean, not all of them, but but most of them. Okay, uh, here we go then with prefer or defer. Equities or bonds? Bonds. Europe or US? Europe. Developed or emerging? Defer. Investment grade or high yield? Investment grade. Sterling or dollar? Dollar. Buffett or butcher? Defer. <laughs> Countryside or city life? Countryside. Karaoke or quiz night? Karaoke. Cornwall or Ibiza? Cornwall. Hamilton or Mamma Mia? Mamma Mia. Wow, there's some tough ones there for you, Georgie. I could feel, I could feel the tension. <laughs> really, really tricky one for you, but you've navigated it marvellously. I'm afraid I've got to come back to you on one of those defers, uh, Buffett or Butcher. Butcher being, of course, Stephanie Butcher, the CIO of Invesco. Um, what's going on with the answer there? So clearly you totally threw me. So you've got one of the best known investors and then you've basically got my boss. So weighing it up, I'm going to stick with defer. Top marks. And thanks so much for playing, Georgina. And that's that's the hard work over with now. Just the uh, just the navigation of financial markets to get through now. And uh, lots to talk about. I certainly want to give you the chance to expand on those answers. But um, as we draw breath, let's begin with some context. Clearly, markets have been like pretty decent this year in terms of performance, equity markets. I mean, like, can you explain to listeners sort of why you think that's been the case? I think it's because the economic data has held up. I think the, the narrative last year coming into this year was very much about the, the pessimism surrounding a change in policy landscape, some growth pressures coming through. And I think we all expected that to play out, particularly in the profit cycle, much quicker than it has. But actually, I think because expectations were downgraded so much, particularly for profits, then companies have held up okay relative to that. I think, as I say, the economic data has not collapsed as yet. And I think the the fear over where tighter policy, higher interest rates, a change in the fiscal backdrop would start to bite just hasn't played out just yet. I think, look, 
we'll come on to discuss this more, I'm sure. But, you know, maybe that is the, the issue right now of just, OK, what are the time lags in this cycle and where will things start to hit? And, you know, will we actually get a sharp kind of fall in profits, fall in economic growth and then recovery? That's all remains to be seen. But if we just look at what we know today, things have held up better. It doesn't feel like everything has been massively hit by this change in economic backdrop. And so equities have just managed to, to navigate that OK. And, and of course, there's been another theme running in the background as well, all the AI themes. So people have been able to grab hold of that and some other themes in emerging markets, which again, has just given investors a little bit of confidence to, to stick with, with equities to a certain extent. Okay, so sort of in that prefer or defer round, you did reveal that you preferred bonds over equities. Doesn't necessarily mean you're particularly bearish on equities, but you know, certainly a note of caution in your opening explanation there. I mean, what would you think with the circumstances would be to allow equity markets to continue to perform through the end of the year? If we don't really get a a huge shock to the system, I mean, I think if it's always, you know, will there be a recession? Will there not be a recession? But I don't think it's just about the recession. It's also about the resolve of central bankers as well to say, well, how far will they go in terms of their tightening of, of monetary policy? How far will governments go in terms of, you know, pulling back in terms of that fiscal spend? So, I think equities can hold up okay if we don't really get another hawkish round by central banks. We don't get another shock through, you know, higher inflation prints, for example. And as long as we don't get that big, big, you know, dramatic setback, I think equities probably will do okay. I think in terms of my answer around bonds versus equities, I think it's just then balancing the risk of where do you think the biggest sell-off could happen, you know, if you're looking across a broader portfolio. And I just think if you really want to go into equities to any substantial degree within portfolios, you've got to be very, very confident that the central banks get it right, governments get it right, businesses get it right in terms of managing top line versus bottom line and cost. So it's quite a perfect outcome to not at least get some kind of setback in equities over the coming months. So that might absolutely be the case. And I think that is one scenario, as you say, um, but it does suggest you need an alignment of all of those things to really support, you know, the valuations that we're seeing across across equity markets, which have kind of held up okay, to be honest. Yeah. So, you know, it's not unprecedented for uh, central banks and governments, you know, to make mistakes in policy execution. So that is certainly a risk to equity markets. Is there something of a, a base case that like makes you a little bit more nervous on equities that you also might want to explain more? Upon. I think for equity markets, you know, it's all about what is the right risk premium? So what is the right price to pay for the equity markets, given we are now operating in a completely different economic and market regime than we have done for the last 10 years? And I think, you know, what does that really mean? That means that we're in a different interest rate environment. So, you know, we're probably not going to go back to zero interest rates. We're probably in an environment where policymakers don't have the wiggle room because of all of the support they've had to provide to economies over an extended period of time. They don't necessarily have the wiggle room to suddenly step in once again if, if economies did roll over. So we've got to have a period of adjustment, not only to higher interest rates, which, you know, if we do the maths on that and sit here today and say, well, look at these higher interest rates, those future profits of companies 
are worth less. So we have to decide what the right price is to place upon that that future kind of profit stream that we can we can expect from these companies. So that's a lot to digest for markets. And I think what we've seen over the last year, 18 months is the market saying, OK, we're kind of adjusting now to a higher interest rate regime or a change of policy. Have we changed to a different growth outcome, given households, corporates are all operating in a very different economic environment. And maybe that's the bit that hasn't quite happened yet. So there are different stages to kind of digesting and kind of behaviourally getting our head around quite a different investment environment. And that's just playing out over quite a long period of time. And what makes us slightly nervous is that, you know, at the moment the bulls are winning in some ways because equities have held up okay. The economic data absolutely is softened in some parts, but not massively, you know, across across the whole suite of economic data that we can look at. So everyone's getting more confident. Those that have been more positive are getting more confident in that view. I think perhaps the ongoing surprise is that we will be entering a phase where policymakers will be really challenged, where they might still be coping with some higher inflation, but the economic data and particularly things like the labour market start rolling over more. And that's a much more difficult environment to get policy right, because your economics are not looking great, but actually your inflation dynamic is saying you should still be on that hawkish track. And so that complication and the clash of drivers and motivations for for central bankers means, ah, you know, we sit back as equity investors and say, how do we price this? How should we be thinking about this? And it's almost like that indigestion period while we think about that is the period in which you you get markets just having that that setback because we're just not quite sure what that means for our future growth environment and and what that looks like. And look again, we'll come on. To, we can come on to talk about it in terms of where to look and navigate the world on that basis. But there are areas of the world that are more sensitive to higher interest rates than others. So you know you can start then dividing the world up based on some of these themes, which then gets more interesting for where you can actually you know be investing and, and take opportunity rather than completely sitting back and and not participating at all. I certainly want to uh, discuss like how you're navigating equity markets and bond markets in this uh, environment. It might sort of press you on one more question about sort of the bull case. Lots of the economic data is sort of holding up reasonably well, and, and maybe we don't get that recession this year. And inflation, well, not in the UK, but uh, in the US, inflation sort of trending lower. Perhaps we get a soft landing, perhaps we don't. But if by next year, like that's when the economic data starts to look a bit more troubling, maybe inflation will be a bit lower and maybe there'll be a bit more flexibility for policymakers for the Fed to cut rates. I don't want to be sort of too cute with like my 12 month roadmap, but like, is there an environment where sort of over the course of the next 12, 18 months, equities can do OK because the recession is thwarted off until such a time that policy can be a little bit more proactive to deal with it? Absolutely. And, you know, and I think that that's the slight complication this year, that we're all doing a lot of this scenario type analysis. And I think the reason that we need to do it is because there's a high probability that you get this muddle through scenario where nothing is too dramatic. You know, if, if profits fall significantly, you know, if we get a big V shape down and up, we all know what to do. You stay cautious. Then you get back in, you kind of preempt that. And the playbook has been set because that that follows history. And we kind of, we kind of understand that environment. I think the difficulty right now is, is exactly as you say, you know, you kind of muddle through. It's OK, whether that's a soft landing or just a muddle through in terms of the description of that scenario. We get to next year, things roll over and soften. Do we get policy kicking in at that point? And I think that that is the question. So 
the, the trade off for equity markets is as long as growth is holding up, that's OK. And even if interest rates stay high, maybe that's fine. And maybe we just carry on. So, yeah, I can easily see a scenario where that happens. I think getting from now to where we get comfortable with that is the slightly difficult period and the volatile period. If investors can absolutely look through that and come out the other side, you could end up being, you know, in six months time, kind of where we are today, um, but having been a bit volatile between now and then. But to your point on policy, I think an assumption that policymakers will just kick in and ease policy at the first signs that inflation is getting back to target and or growth is really rolling over. I think we just have to be a bit careful about that because we are anchoring ourselves behaviourally in the previous economic regime. And we've kind of moved on from that. You know, central bankers have had to work incredibly hard to get interest rates to where they are now and to exit kind of zero rate policy and having to respond incredibly quickly to the inflation that's come through in the system. It would take a lot, I think, for them to run the risk to say, job done, we can ease policy and there's no inflation risk that we're missing or that can come back into the system very quickly. Now, what that means is that, you know, almost you have, again, this push-pull between inflation remaining a bit higher and but rates staying higher as well, but maybe kind of growth is okay. But also that just means we have to operate in a world where we, you know, we're expecting a bit more inflation in, in the system. Now, again, that's not bad for equity markets, but that interest rate trade-off is the bit that we have to have to think about. So look, it's a long-winded kind of answer to your question, but of course I can see, you know, a positive outcome for equity markets. But I would just caution against the playbook that we plan to follow because behaviourally, I think we're just in a very, very different place now versus where we've been over the last 10 years or so, 15 years, um, where we could expect that policy response to kick in very quickly. Not long-winded at all. Very thoughtful and uh, and right to remind listeners that uh, central banks um, may, by design, be a bit sort of slower to respond to sort of cracks in the growth data and, and falling inflation. So, no, uh, really appreciate that response. Now, Let's flip back to some sort of standard, less innovative questions from me that uh, get asked of everyone. You know, how are you managing? I don't know how you like to sort of categorise the various segments of the equity market, but, you know, often gets bucketed as sort of US for Europe or growth for value. Uh, are you thinking about equity markets at all in that in that way? And, and if not, how are you manoeuvring portfolios to best capture the opportunities? If we start with regionally, I suppose, you know, there is the US versus Europe. And of course, we've come from a period where, you know, the US did incredibly well for such a long period of time. Europe had a bit of a comeback last year into this year. And now the debate is where do we go? And I think for us, it's kind of there there are two parts to it. I think if you make a, a true valuation call, then I think Europe does look very, very interesting. And I think Europe does lean into some of the themes. So some of the emerging market themes we've got coming through, you can get a bit of access to that by the European market. So if China, you know, the growth theme comes through there, you can access that through the European market. US does have a bit of an issue right now because the performance has been so concentrated. It does come out as expensive now. And so really it becomes very much a sector call, not a US equity market call. So putting those two things together, I don't know that there's much to call it between US and Europe, if I'm completely honest. I mean, I think I would favour Europe because I think it's healthier. I think there'll be a broader 
contribution to performance. I think you have got a bit more valuation support and just a bit more, you know, some interesting themes running through Europe right now. We've got some infrastructure spending, kind of the green agenda, all of those factors that could drive some profitability of those European companies. And it does worry me slightly that the US market is a bit one dimensional. So obviously, you know, the tech theme is huge. But there is some vulnerability there, again, to this slightly higher interest rate environment, that cash flow dynamic associated with those companies, which has allowed them to do very well. And also, when you look at it in the context of a broader portfolio, you have to think about whether U.S. equities at the moment almost become a bit of a duration play because, you know, a lot of those companies get driven by that slight you know, slightly lower interest rate environment is quite helpful for them. So from a diversification perspective, I think we have to be a little bit careful if you're owning US bonds and then you're owning US equities, which have become a little bit of a, a cash flow driven market, then that's something to think about in a, in a portfolio construction um, space. So I think there's there's that regional element Look thematically and you can think of factors and, and value versus growth. I think the value versus growth theme is it's probably done now a little bit. I think, what does that really mean now? I think there's the growth element, which is, again, very tech-oriented, again, very much about duration and a lower interest rate environment and those companies that offer those predictable cash flows. I think we've gone a bit further than that now. And to your point about, well, where can we look? How do you build a portfolio? Where do you find return opportunities? I think it's thematically that crosses those that division of the market. So again, it could be about that infrastructure spend. It could be about looking at balance sheets and where you find the stronger balance sheets that can cope with this different economic environment, for example. And I think that just crosses borders when it comes to value versus growth. So personally, I would put that to one side and look very much more, at, you know, a cross-sector view of themes or look within sectors that you can really extract um, some of the, you know, wh where are we going to get the next driver for profits, for example, and take a pure sector view rather than trying to do that, that kind of value growth um, split of the market. Okay, thanks, Georgie. I mean, you, you touched on the Chinese sort of recovery, potentially supporting Europe. I mean, on, on the one hand, that reopening story seems to be sort of disappointing, at least in the short term, but maybe, you know, we're starting to see a bit more intent from policymakers, you know, from authorities to stimulate the economy. So sort of a hard one to, to call and make, you know, to predict. But what are you thinking about in terms of sort of stimulus for China? And of course, clearly there's a valuation appeal there as well. You know, essentially, how are you feeling about the China policy response and how is that influencing your emerging market strategy? Yeah, I mean, China's been an interesting one because we got very excited about China kind of end of last year, coming into this year. And the reason is that as a macro investor, you could look at China as being on very much its own policy path. So while we were looking at you know, the Fed and the ECB and the Bank of England and deciding the dynamic that would drive their behaviour, I think China was setting its own course. And so it felt a very good call to say, well, OK, we can look at China slightly separately I think the the issue with that was that the the recovery and the the reopening was very very much about domestic China, and it wasn't so much about perhaps the the capex spend, the commodity theme, the the pulling in investment, all of those drivers which often we associate with China as well. And I suppose one of the easiest ways of looking at that are things like you know luxury good companies or those areas of the market that have exposure to that pure consumer theme that was coming through in in China. 
So as you say, I mean, overall, if you now look at the data, there, there are challenges there. And I think it hasn't quite been the one way um, move that, that everyone or a number of people may have expected. So for us, I think the easing is interesting. I think that probably keeps a bit of downward pressure on their currency. And that is a view that we have that we have in portfolios. I think it does allow you to think about well, what's the next phase of the China growth story. I think, again, the thing that is challenging all of us as investors is how patient we're having to be. You know, there's not this full scale swing from, OK, it was the consumer. Now we'll have the investment theme. But I think we can think about China not only maybe having a bit of direct exposure, but actually maybe a bit of exposure across broader Asia. And that's certainly been something that we've been looking at and, and adding to a little bit recently. So I think we do buy into the fact that there is there is a bit of a recovery underway, but we would caution doing it absolutely purely just through a direct investment in, in China and just spread it out a little bit. And even if we come back to Europe, I mean, it's quite interesting things like, again, because of that luxury goods theme, actually, as one driver, France has been the clear out performer um, versus Germany. Um, over quite an extended period of time, well over a year. And so a bit of a reversal in that, maybe Germany starting to outperform France could kind of lean into okay, a bit of a shift towards maybe a broader set of beneficiaries, if you like, of that, of that China story, a bit more about that investment side coming through and just the froth being taken out slightly from that consumer theme, which has been kind of the big um, area of the market that's benefited from, from the China story outside of the Chinese, um, Chinese equity market. So yes, we buy into it. I think it will take time to come through. I think it's a bit of a slower burn than a lot of us were, were thinking at the, at the turn of the year. Keeps a bit of downward pressure on the currency in terms of their policy response and then feed that view. Not Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Have a bit of a view of where that filters through. So a bit of broader exposure across Asia and then in Europe, uh, some rotation in terms of those beneficiaries of, of that China story playing out. Okay, so thanks, Regina. We talked quite a lot about equities, uh, but of course, you're a multi-asset investor. And uh, indeed, you said in, our, in the prefer or defer round, there is a, a preference for bonds. So let's talk about how you are sort of diversifying or indeed, uh, what are your preferred opportunities away from equities in the marketplace? so hard with the bond market right now. And from a diversification perspective, it's what makes me incredibly nervous, if I'm completely honest, because as we talked about earlier, if you get a setback in equities, one driver of that could be tied to policy and higher rates. So I have to say, I don't think bonds will be the saviour in a multi-asset portfolio. I think we have to be very, very aware that we need other diversifiers in the funds because you could get a rerun of parts of last year where bonds were selling off at the same time as equity. So we're very, very conscious of that risk. But if we try and think a bit longer term, because that's probably over the next few months that that risk is, is potentially most acute. If we look forward from that, it's saying, well, look, let, let's look across the world and think about this different economic regime that we're being faced with. Now, even though it, it's, it's a slower burn than perhaps we would have expected, I think there are areas of the market that are much more susceptible to this higher interest rate environment. And all that means is, OK, if, if central banks are raising rates, where does it hit more quickly? Where do we have much more sensitivity to those higher central bank rates? And can we kind of rank the world based on that? 
So when you look, you know, places like Australia, places like the UK, these are all areas which are hypersensitive to, to a change in interest rate regime because of the way the mortgage market is structured, for example. And a lot of the, the repricing of mortgages is still to come. You know, people have been on fixed rate mortgages over the coming quarters is when actually we see the, the change and people going on to different rates. So that that will impact somewhere along the, the economic chain, if you like. So it, for duration, I think we we, we would favour those markets where you can see that that economic impact will start to bite and maybe you get a quicker reversal in central bank response. So owning duration in, in Australia, we think is, is, is quite a good place to be um, relative to other markets. UK is harder. The data is much more mixed. And I think the Bank of England has, has a, a harder mandate in a way um, in terms of inflation and, and trying to balance those risks. So edging in very slowly would be um, how we would look at, at the UK bond market. But again, it's an area where we think we could get quite a quick reversal um, and rates edging down. And again, one of the better places to, to own duration. I think if we can't rely on on bonds, um, again, we're happy to own a little bit, then you need other stuff, you know, in portfolios to, to help you. I think currencies are great for that. They're very helpful. And they also pick up on these differentiations and different responses by policymakers around the world. And that can quite quickly get reflected in, in currency movements. So look, the yen has been massively out of favour. You know, Bank of Japan is not playing ball in terms of tightening policy. They're on their own path. But it is the place in the world that, look, either you get a driver for a bit of a higher yen because you do get them finally giving in almost to say, oh, there is some inflation in the system. Maybe we can finally start to, you know, edge policy a little bit tighter or they don't get the chance to do that because growth does roll over quite significantly. And so you get the defensive nature of the Japanese yen kicking in. So look, it's been unhelpful. It was very unhelpful last year. It was not a good diversifier, but we gradually kind of got into the yen kind of end of last year into this year. And we think that might be quite useful and also offers very good value, importantly. Don't just buy stuff to diversify, buy stuff you think can actually make you a return. And holding on a little bit to the dollar, yeah, you know, I think there's still an interest rate differential view that you can that you can have with with the dollar. There's a bit of momentum coming back into the dollar. So owning the dollar versus a couple of Asian currencies, we think makes makes a bit of sense as well. And so I think the yen and the dollar can kick in if, in particular, you get a, a period where um, bonds and equities just just struggle a little bit um, in terms of their performance. So having to broaden out really what's in your diversifying bucket right now, I think, given there are still risks attached to, to bond markets around the world. OK, right. Well, thanks, Georgina. I mean, as expected, you know, smooth as you like, a delightful uh, articulation of views there. So really appreciate that and a really enjoyable conversation as a result. So thank you once again for your time. Uh, biggest thanks, of course, to our listeners. Really appreciate you being with us. We hope you've enjoyed that and uh, I hope you'll join us uh, next month for our next Time in the Market podcast. Listeners should be aware of the following investment risks. The value of investments and any income will fluctuate. This may partly be the result of exchange rate fluctuations and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Other important information for listeners. This podcast is intended for UK professional clients only and is not for consumer use. Views and opinions are based on current market conditions and are subject to change. This is marketing material and not financial advice. It is not intended as a recommendation to buy or sell any particular asset class, security or strategy. 
Regulatory requirements that require impartiality of investment or investment strategy recommendations are therefore not applicable, nor are any prohibitions to trade before publication. Issued by Invesco Asset Management Limited, Perpetual Park, Perpetual Park Drive, Henley-on-Thames, Oxfordshire, RG91HH, UK. Authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority.